Wow, would you let Pastor Randy and the team know how much you appreciate them leading us in some great worship? And for all of our volunteers that came in and a lot of people behind the scene that you never get a chance to see, we had, it doesn't just like happen out of nowhere. It's just like all of a sudden we come in and all the lights and all the stage and all the sound is in place. We're actually in about four different theaters right now with all the kids and student ministries and two big rooms are converted into nurseries. And so there's a whole lot of people at the opposite end and it doesn't just happen. Our tech team started rolling in. If you can imagine, they started rolling in at 5:30 this morning in order to have everything set up and ready to go for that eight o'clock. I think we ought to give the tech team a hand. Will you let them know? as well. And it's good to have you. Thank you for being with us, all of our first-time guests and our church family and so many of you. And we've been talking about, man, we just hope that Easter Sunday will be a re-engagement for a lot of people who have wanted to be here but simply have not been able to be here. So in the 8 o'clock service, we had a lot of people that they're back. This is their first Sunday back. For a lot of people in this service, it's your first Sunday back. And I'm just telling you, we are so thrilled that you are with us. Next Sunday, and if you live in the area, I hope you'll be back for this. I'm going to start a brand new message series next week. I'm really fired up about it. The Me I Want to Be. Who's the person that I want to be? The person really that God wants me to be. And how do I become that kind of person? How do I get from where I'm at to where I want to be, where I sense God wants me to be? We're going to start that uh, next week. The me I want to be, and I hope you'll come back for that next Sunday. Now, for most of you that are here today or you're watching this service online because you can't quite be back yet, and we hope that that will be soon, I don't think on an Easter Sunday, for most of you, that I have to convince you that Jesus Christ is who he claimed that he was and is, and that is the very Son of God. For most of you, probably all of you, I don't have to convince you of that. You already believe, yes, Jesus is the Son of the living God. So I'm not going to spend my time trying to convince you of that, nor do I need for the most of you to try to convince you that Jesus went to the cross and he died a literal death. He paid the penalty. He became our atonement, our substitutional sacrifice. He stepped into our place, took upon himself the sin, our sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world, and he went to the cross. I don't have to convince you of that. You already believe that. And you furthermore believe that after three days, he was raised back to life again. So because I would imagine, because most Americans do believe that, I'm not going to spend my time trying to convince you of that. I love what Lee Strobel has written. Lee Strobel, in case you don't know who he is, he was a former atheist. He was an investigative writer with the Chicago Tribune, and his wife became a Christian. She became a follower of Jesus, and it just so disturbed Lee, he set out to use his skills as an investigator and a journalist to debunk, to, to disprove, Christianity. Like, this is just insane. In the process of trying to disprove Christianity, he came face to face with this reality. Jesus was who he claimed to be. And as a result of that, Lee Strobel, a number of years ago, became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he wrote this, not only was Jesus's tomb empty, but over a period of 40 days, he appeared alive a dozen different times to 515 people, to men and to women, to believers and doubters, to tough-minded people and tender-hearted souls to groups, to individuals, sometimes indoors he would appear, sometimes outdoors. And again, I don't have to convince you of that. So what do I want to spend the balance of our time doing? 
what will our focus be today? What I want to do is talk about what is the implication of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago have to do with our life today? Does it make a difference? Does it really matter? Is the net effect of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago have any actual real bearing on our lives today? And I hope that in the remaining time, I'm able to convince you that it does have an impact and an influence on our life today. So what I want to do in the next few moments, I want to share with you two really, really important truths that we learn from Easter. And if you're a note taker, uh, get your notepad ready, your tablet, your phone, and I'm going to mention these two. Truth number one, Easter reminds us that God is in control. That's what Easter reminds us of, that God ultimately is in control. I love this verse. This is such a great verse. Look at it on the screen. We make our plans. We do. We all make our plans, but God has the last word. Can I tell you that God always has the last word? You know, when you think about the crucifixion of Jesus, which would have, you know, a good Friday, two days ago, when you think about the crucifixion of Christ, by the way, hold on to those communion elements. I'll tell you at the end of the service what we'll do with those. But when you start thinking about who was fundamentally responsible for that ever happening, the crucifixion of Jesus. I will tell you it was not those who in that day, in that culture, would be a part of what would be known as the despised trades. It was not anybody associated with or connected to the despised trades. And that would include people like tax collectors and prostitutes and such. It was not them. It was not unchurched people. It was not unbelievers. It was actually religious leaders, if you can only imagine. It was religious leaders. Those who were jealous, even Pilate, you read the gospel account, even Pilate realized that when they're crying out for Jesus to be crucified, he recognized and he wasn't even a believer. He's like, hey, I know what this is about. This is about jealousy. And, and they have seen Jesus's ministry atta- uh, attracting a lot of attention and people are following him. And the idea of this religious community establishment was, was let's silence him. Let's do away with him. And probably the only way that we're going to be able to do that is if we kill him. But what they failed to realize was this reality. While they were composing their insidious little plan to get rid of Jesus, that God was still in control. Because since the foundation of the world, God had, since the fall of Adam and Eve, God had a plan to restore fallen creation into a relationship with him. And he knew that it would mean that his son would have to die on the cross. So God still was ultimately in control. I want to talk about us for a moment. I think that you and I know that we have moved to a place of emotional maturity in our own lives when we finally realize that there are a lot of things that are outside of our control. We don't like that. Generally speaking, we want things to be manageable. We want to to be able to control some things. But then we come to this idea that there's so much we don't control. I mean, just look at your own life. I look at mine. You don't control when you were born. You weren't like, hey, I think I'm going to pick a date, and I'll pick this date on when I'm going to be born. You have no control over that. You don't have any control, nor do I, over where we're going to be born. We don't have any control over who our parents are going to be or are. It's not like we say, well, okay, God, I'd really like to pick out my parents and not choose them. No, uh, that's outside of our control. There's so much that is outside of our control. There's so many things I wish I could control that I don't. I wish I could control. 
control, if I can say it, the win-loss record of the Georgia Bulldogs. I wish I could control that. They'd be undefeated every year, much to the chagrin of many of you, but they would be undefeated every year. The Georgia Bulldogs would be national champions every year, but I don't have any control over that, so I drink the Kool-Aid every year, and then I'm disappointed again. There's so many things I'd like to control. I'd like to control my height. I really believe this some way, somehow, because it's the desire of my heart that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be six foot six. I really hope and believe that's going to happen. Until then, while I'm on earth, I'm going to have to be content to be six too and just live with the results of that. (laughs) We don't have control over a lot of things. If we had control of the coronavirus, it never would have occurred. Has it dawned on you yet that you cannot control a lot of things? Has it dawned on you yet that you cannot change your past, nor can you predict your future? And I don't know if you're like me, but what happens when there's things we want to control and we can't control and we come and we're like, oh, I'd really like to control that. You know what happens? We get worried. We become anxious. We get all stressed out. Because there's so much in life, and you know it. You don't need me to tell you. There's so much, so much, so much in life that we just can't control. Well, we go over to the other side of the equation, and God is in ultimate control. And we consider this truth that God created everything that is good. God doesn't create negative things and bad things. You know, a lot of times God gets blamed for things that God never even created. But God causes good things to happen. I really believe that. And he creates good things and he does good things and he has unlimited power and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. And we may think, well, does that really matter? And how does that affect my life? Because again, I'm not trying to convince you that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Most Americans believe that or that he died on the cross. Most Americans believe that or that he rose again after three days. You probably all believe that. The tension that we feel is, what is that that happened so long ago have to do with my life? And I will tell you, it has a lot. In fact, can I tell you that the power that God used to raise his son Jesus from the dead, he wants you and I to tap into that power. You're like, Jeff, you have really lost your mind. But he does. See, you and I are so weak in so many different areas. You have weak areas that I don't have. I have weak areas that you don't have. And a lot of times we try to exert our willpower when we want to accomplish something that in and of ourselves we can't. So we just think, hey, uh, willpower, willpower, willpower. And somehow I got to try to make it happen. And the reality is it's not willpower. It's real power that makes all the difference in the world. And you may be think, I'm, think that I'm kidding you when I say that we can tap into that power. I want you to look at uh, this on the screen, these two verses, this is out of Ephesians 1. I want you to know, and this is that great church leader. His name was Paul, this guy by the name of Paul. He said, I want you to know about the great and mighty power that God has for us followers. Look at this. This is amazing to me. It is the same wonderful power that he used when he raised Christ from death. So God looks at you and me and says, I know you and your weaknesses. I know where you're strong, but I also know where your weaknesses are. And your weaknesses actually become an opportunity for me to manifest the great power that I have. And Paul said it, and he's this great church leader. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that God wants us to tap into. See, God wants us to trust him with our problems. And he wants us to trust him with our pain and the pressures that we deal with in our lives. Because you can't go from birth to death and not deal with some pain and some problems and some pressure. The question is not really do we have problems. The question is always this, what problems do we have? 
All people have problems in one way or the other. How can you know if you're really trusting God? How can you know where you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm really trusting God's power. I'm really turning this over. It's outside of my control. I can't do anything about it. I can't muster enough willpower. How do you know? How can you really know that you're trusting God? It's simple. You stop worrying. You stop worrying about it all the time. You're not stressing over it. You're not anxious about it. You accept the reality that God is with you and that God is exceptionally strong, especially where you are extremely weak. You're like, Jeff, how do you know it? Because I just believe the Bible. Here's a verse, and I could show you many, but look at this one. So don't worry because I am with you. Don't be afraid because I am your God. I will make you strong. I will help you. And that's God's promise. What does Easter prove? Easter proves to us, first of all, truth number one, that God is in control. Truth number two, and I want you to be sure you get this down somewhere, again, especially if you're a note taker. Easter reminds us that God always keeps his promises. And I know that I say that to a lot of people that you've been on the receiving end of a lot of broken promises, maybe in your lifetime. And you're like, man, I just can't believe that anybody would keep all of their promises, but God does. And it goes back, in fact, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. This is not new to God. When he actually, actually spoke in the Old Testament of a time that would come when he would send a Messiah who we know is Jesus and how that things would play out in the life of Jesus. So hundreds and hundreds of years before it would ever happen, there would be this narrative where God would speak of a time in the future where a baby would be born. Emmanuel, God with you. And it was God's way of saying, hey, I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to show you what I'm like and I'm going to come in the person of Jesus. And this was talked about hundreds of years before it would ever happen. And it was talked about hundreds of years before it would ever happen that Jesus would die. Isaiah, you read that Old Testament account sometimes and it talks about the suffering servant and everything that Jesus would go through. It was talked about long. And God's saying, you know, I've got to, as I mentioned a moment ago, somehow bring this chasm that separates sinful people from a holy God. And, and I know that I'm going to have to do that in Jesus. So I'll send him and he'll be born as a baby in Bethlehem and he will have a ministry. He'll live to be about 33 and about three years of that would be his ministry. But then he would die on the cross, but he would be resurrected from the dead and he would return to heaven. And one day he's coming back again and hundreds of years before that ever was an actuality, it was said that it would happen and that God will always Keep his promises. I love this next verse. Look at it with me up here on the screen, everybody. Numbers 23, God is not a human being and he will not lie. He is not a human and he does not change his mind. What he says he will do, he does. What he promises, he makes come true. God will always keep his promises. And he's made a lot of them, by the way. Now, this is going to blow your mind. You know how I know it's going to blow your mind? Because the first time I ever saw this, and even before I started looking at all the promises of God, I saw this. I'm like, no, that can't even be so. So let me blow your mind since mine has already been blown. Can you believe this? That in the Bible, God has given 7,000, you heard me right, 7,000 promises in his word that can powerfully and wonderfully affect our lives. So what I want to do in the balance of our time is list out for you all 7,000. 
And some of you are like, I knew it was a mistake coming to church today. I knew it. I'm not. I'm not. But I want to mention too. I want to give you a promise about what God says is going to happen after you die, after I die. Can I tell you, we were made to live forever. Whenever they do our service and we're put six foot under, I promise you that is not the end of us. And God has a promise for those who are in Christ. Here's another promise I'll just touch on for a few moments, and that is what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? How does God look upon us with all of our problems and our fears and our challenges? And I want to just let you in on a little secret, all right? A little secret. This is just for us, those watching online. It's a little secret. There are lots of people that are not as excited about the thoughts of heaven as you would think. And I'll tell you why. Primarily because their ideas are built around myth and not reality. For example, we have our Hollywood version of heaven. And so most people think, oh, heaven, I know what heaven is going to be like. Heaven is going to be like all these white, fluffy clouds. How wonderful. And I'm going to get to wear this cool white robe, and it's going to have wings on the back of it. And, you know, I'm going to be like a, an angel, another angel. I'm already an angel on earth. Oh, boy, be careful with that. And I'm going to be another angel, and I'm going to sit around and play my harp all day, 24-7. If that's what heaven's going to be like, you know what, friends? That's awfully boring to me. But that's the myth of heaven. That's not the reality. I want to read a story. And, and those of you who know me, you know that I'll never read in church a story, you know, uh, a humorous kind of story, unless it makes me laugh out loud. And this one did. So I thought maybe you might like it as well. A woman died and arrived at the gates of heaven. As she sat waiting for St. Peter to greet her, she peeked through the gates and spotted a beautiful banquet table. Seated around it were her parents and all the other people she loved during her lifetime who had died before her. They saw her and began calling out to her. When St. Peter came by, the woman said to him, This is such a wonderful place. How do I get in? St. Peter said to her, You have to spell a word. She said, Really? He said, Yes. She said, What's the word? He said, Love. The woman correctly spelled the word and was welcomed by St. Peter into heaven. About six months later, St. Peter came to the woman again and said he had to run a couple of errands and could she stand at the gates of heaven for just a little while? And she agreed to do so. And while she was standing there, her husband arrived and she's taken by. I'm surprised to see you, she said. How have you been? Oh, I've been doing really good for a long time now. I married that beautiful young nurse who took care of you while you were ill. And then I won the lottery. And that little bitty house we lived in all those years, I sold it and bought a big mansion. And my wife and I, we've traveled all over the world. In fact, we were on a skiing trip and I hit my head. And that's how I ended up here. And how do I get in there? And she said, all you got to do is spell a word. He said, really? What's the word? She said, Czechoslovakia. Heaven is not like many of you have been told. It's way better than anything here on earth. It's better than anything you've ever done. It's better than anything you've ever seen. It's better than any experience that you've ever had. Now, I know that when I mention this example, only if you love golf will you appreciate this example. But a number of years ago, many, many years ago, I had an opportunity, and if you're a golfer, you will appreciate this. I had an opportunity to play Pebble Beach. I had no business playing golf at Pebble Beach. I was. And it was as breathtaking, more breathtaking, actually, to be there in person play golf there than anything that you could see on TV. 
And I can remember, I just like stood around and just sort of took in these sights that I'd seen many times on TV, but now I'm on this course. But it was as though God said, Jeff, you're impressed with this. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty impressed with this. I'm not very impressed with my score, but I'm very, very impressed with this. And it's like God is saying, but this is nothing in comparison with what I have created for you all, for all of eternity. This is a revealing verse, 1 Corinthians. Look at it with me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And he's made a promise for those who are in Christ. Some of you know, who know me well, because I was very open about it, and it was really, really, really tough time for me just a few years ago, when in a matter of four months, I lost my mom and my dad. Dad was only 72. He had passed away in the month of September. Four months later, mom at the age of 70, she passed away. And some of you are thinking, uh, you know, I had a little bit and I'll sort of come to that. But you may be thinking, as a lady at the office thought, because she really didn't know my parents had been divorced since I was 15. And they had been divorced that long. And so, you know, around the office, they knew I had left and went to South Georgia where my dad lived. Again, they had been divorced since I was a teenager, and I'd gone to his service in September. And then here four months later, I'm at the service of my mom up in Atlanta where I was born and raised. And I came back, and most of the people at the office, they know that uh, my parents had divorced a long, long time ago. But one lady, she was new in the office. And so when I came back to work after coming back from mom's service, uh, got back into town, went a couple of days later, was back in the office, and a lot of people, and they were so nice and so loving. I was praying for you, and how are you doing, and such and such. And, and everybody in the office, even if they didn't know my story about my parents you know, being divorced that long, they knew that I'd lost Dad in September, Mom in January. And so this lady, who again didn't know the story, she's so sweet. She came around. She said, oh, Pastor Jeff, I know what happened. Your mom wanted to be with your dad. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, my personality is, if you tee it up like that, I'm going to take a mighty swing. <laughs> I know your mom just wanted to be with your dad. And I looked there and I said, no, that wasn't it. In fact, I hope they get along better in heaven than they ever did on earth. Cause it, and she's like, oh, and then I explained and, and, uh, and she's like, oh. Fortunately, several years before my parents passed, they both ended up receiving Christ. Both of them are in heaven. And I can tell you, I believe by faith, they get along great. God has not put them in the same neighborhood, but they still get along really, really good. But you don't just get into heaven. You got to have a reservation. You don't just show up one day. It's not as easy as spell a word, love, L-O-V-E. Okay, I'm in. You got to have a reservation. Can I say it this way? You've got to be a child of God. And I know what some of you are thinking. But Jeff, isn't everybody a child of God? No. Everybody's created by God. But becoming a child of God is a choice. That's a choice. Look at these verses up on the screen. Check this out. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who accept him and believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God. They did not become his children in any human way by any human parents or any human desire. They were born. They were born. They were born of God. You got to have a reservation. First promise, a wonderful place called heaven after you die. 
Here's that second promise that I want to briefly mention, and that is God's unending help while we're still here on earth. God is very much interested in the problems that you have. And I mentioned earlier, it's not that we don't have problems. The real question is, how many problems and what are those problems? You've got problems. I've got problems. Everybody's got problems. But God's totally interested in those. And you're just like, Jeff, I'm at a place in my career and my job, and it really stinks, and I don't know what to do, and I'm in this toxic environment, and I, I, I just, what do I do? And, and you've got stress about it, and I want you to know God is interested in that. Or you're like, my health has become de- debilitating, and my body is not what it once was, and some news that I'm getting, and some symptoms that I have, and some things that are going on in my life. I'm just really, really, really concerned about my health, and I don't know what's going to happen in the next few months or years, and I'm really concerned about my health and the direction that's going. And I want you to know God is interested in that. Well, Jeff, I've got a problem in my marriage, and, you know, we just can't ever seem to get on a page that's together. We're always pulling apart, and it's not getting better. It's getting, it's not even neutral. It's just getting worse, and, and I, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't want to throw my hands up in the air, and I just, you know, in exasperation and finality. I don't know, and, and God is interested in that, and he's interested in what's going on in the lives of your kids and what's happening in your finances, and he knows about your habits and your anxiety, and he knows about your worry, and he knows about the pressure. He knows about your hurt. He knows He knows about your pain. He knows about the regret. He knows about the shame. He's interested in that. So it's not like God is just sitting back and saying, all right, one of these days when you die, if you're my child, you get a reservation, you're into heaven. No, in the meantime, he is powerfully at work and his promises that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And that we can come to him with all the stuff that we carry that God never intended that we would carry. And in him, we could find something that we all desperately need. And that is rest. It's peace. Look at these three verses. This is Matthew. Are you tired? And some of you are like, oh, Jeff, man, if you only knew. Worn out? Burned out on religion? Jesus said, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, with me. Watch how I do it. Look at the next portion of this. Learn the unforced. I love this language. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's life. That is possible. It's a promise to those who will access it. When you... See those verses up on the screen. Is that you? Are you tired? Are you stressed out? Are your problems just growing, it seems, by the day? Are you burned out, as you saw on the screen, burned out on religion? I am too. By the way, Jesus has never been about religion. Sometimes people say, and I know it's well-intentioned, I know they mean, well, preacher, all I need to do is give me a little bit religion. And sometimes I say it, depending on the nature of the relationship, sometimes I just keep my mouth shut. But I want to say, no, you don't need religion. You don't need, and if you're wondering that, no, you don't need religion. You don't need more rules. You don't need more regulations. You don't need more rituals. You don't need religion, but you need a relationship with Jesus Christ who wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to get to know him. 
He wants you to trust Him. And you and I know you can't trust somebody really until you get to know them. And He wants to be known. And simply to know Jesus, it's much bigger than just knowing that He exists. It's about building a relationship with Him. That's why in this series, next week, the me, I want to be. We're going to talk about how do we get to know Him better? How do we allow Him to have full reign in our life? Well, there's a guy in the Bible. I mentioned him earlier by the name of Paul. He's a great, great church leader. And I love what he says. This is Philippians 3. This is a, a part of the first part of the verse. He says, I want to know him. I really do. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power. We talked about this a little bit earlier. And I want to know him. I want to really know him. I don't need religion. I don't need more because Paul had so much religion before he came into a relationship with Jesus. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power. We saw this that raised him from the dead. I want to know that. I want to know that Jesus. I want to get to know him. I want to trust him. And the only way I'm going to be able to trust him is if I get to know him. I want to throw in one last promise here at the end because we're almost done. In eight minutes, we'll be out of here. It's probably the most important promise that you'll ever see. And by the fact that I will not spend much time on it does not nullify how critical this is. But I want you to see this promise. It's the best one you're going to see. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Guess what? You're included in that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. But Jeff, you don't know my past. I don't. God does. But he offers you salvation. Jeff, you don't know what I've been going through in my life. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know how many times I said to God, I want and I did and I will not anymore and I did. And, and I've just done so much to hurt other people and hurt me and to hurt God. There's no way, no how, no, everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And most likely you already believe Jesus is who he claimed to be. You already believe that he went to the cross to pay the sin debt for you and for me. You already believe that. You already believe that after three days, God by his mighty power brought his son back to life again and he ascended back to heaven. And we read about that in the early chapters of the book of Acts. You already believe that. But it's not enough to believe. To become a child of God, you have to receive. I've got to receive, you've got to receive. See, believing those things are not going to get you into heaven. You know how I know that? The devil believes all those things I just mentioned. How many of you know the devil's not going to be in heaven? <laughs> he believes everything I just said. The difference for us is we believe it, but we receive Jesus as the Savior and the leader of our life. Everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you bow your heads? Everybody, bow your heads. Would you close your eyes? And would you just simply in your heart, you don't even have to pray it aloud. You can, but you can pray it in your heart, in your mind, and just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you're who you claim to be. Jesus, I believe that you were born. I believe that you lived and you died on the cross for my sins. I believe as we celebrate on Easter that you were resurrected from the dead. I believe that you're in heaven and you've been created in a special place for those who have a reservation, those who are the children of God. But today, I want to receive. I want to receive you 
into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you as the forgiver of my sins. I receive you as the leader of my life. And I know I can't do it on my own. I can't. I've tried. But if you'll take my hand and you'll lead me, I'll walk with you. And one day, I'll go into a place unlike anything I've ever seen or known or done or experienced. Thank you for receiving me. I'm one of those everyone who calls upon you. And I believe it now by faith that I am saved. Now I want to get to know you. I don't need rules. I don't need rituals. I need to grow in a relationship with you. Please teach me how. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, will you do me a favor? Would you just lift your hand up for just a second? Just lift it real high. It's okay. A lot of people have done it. A lot of people did it in the last service. Man, that's incredible. Would you give Jesus a hand clap of praise today? Isn't that a powerful, powerful thing? In your hand, you should have received, I hope you did anyhow, that little cup, and it represents the body and the blood of Christ. And some of you are saying, man, I can't participate in this part of the service. Don't I have to be a member of the church? No. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion here. You didn't need to be a child of God. And the Bible says that anytime you and I take communion... We're remembering what Jesus did for us. And some of you are even wondering, but can I take communion? I just received Jesus 30 seconds ago. Welcome to the family of God and welcome to communion where you remember what Jesus did. I've heard it said that some people drink to forget, but as Christians, we drink to remember. We remember what Jesus did at the cross for us. Every time we drink that juice that represents his blood, we're remembering shed blood. Every time we take that little wafer, we're remembering his broken body. So on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he broke it, he gave it to his followers. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And when you take it, you do so in remembrance of me. Would you take now that little wafer? And as you do, and you eat it, you remember the bruised and beaten body of Jesus. And Lord, we do that. And we remember you. And we thank you for your sacrifice for us, God. He then took the cup, the new covenant in my blood. He said, as often as you do this, you do so in remembrance of me. So when you take that cup and you drink that juice, it is symbolic of the shed blood of Jesus. You can go ahead and take and drink of the cup now. And Jesus, we remember your shed blood. We remember your sacrifice. You stood in the gap. You became our substitute. And we thank you for that. And we praise you for that. And we remember you. And all of us, we want to grow in you and know you better. So thank you for giving us this privilege. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We're going to be done in two minutes or less. I promise. 
Those of you, and there were a lot of you, a lot of you, and I congratulate you on the most important decision you've ever made in your life. Out at Guest Central, and everything sort of happens around Guest Central. That's a big blue tent. Out there scattered around on two or three different tables is this little booklet. It's called, What on Earth Am I Here For? I want you to stop by, and I want you to pick up a copy of that. Will you do so? And if you would be so kind, if you're going to be water baptized next week, if you've become a follower of Jesus today, I'd encourage you to be baptized. It's an outward demonstration of an inner decision to follow Jesus. Guess where we're going to have water baptism? Right out back in the parking lot. How many of you, because we already have a number signed up for water baptism, how many of you are going to pray that it's going to be warmer next Sunday than it is today when you get baptized? Yes, you are. There's a card out there if you're going to be baptized. Fill that card out. Just check where it says water baptism. If you're a guest, if you're a guest, please take a moment and fill out a card. There's two tables on either side. And I'll mention this and we're going to be done. On either side of Guest Central, there's two tables. Stop by there. If you're a first-time guest, we've got a special gift we want to give to you. And it's one of those big chocolate chip cookies from Chick-fil-A. How many of you have ever had one? Wave at me if you've ever had. If you had it, you know it's good. If you haven't, you're about to find out Jesus was behind the creation of those chocolate chip cookies. And if you're a first-time guest, you stop by there. If you're a family of four, you get four. Family of three. And some of you are saying, I'm a first-time guest, Pastor Jeff. First time this month. It was March last Sunday. That doesn't count. First time in the last six days. That doesn't count. If you're a first-time guest. Or we'll stretch it out. If it's been a long time since you've been with us and you've come today, stop by there. We want to give you something. I love you. Thank you for being here. I hope you'll be right back here next Sunday. Happy Easter, everybody.